Hey, good morning. You're going to want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to jump in right around verse 13 here in just a minute. But uh, good to be with you this morning. Great to continue to study this great New Testament letter of 1 Peter. And if you haven't already, let me just again invite you to, ju- to jump in. Uh, to join us on this journey to make the most out of this book. If you haven't already, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, One is the reading plan that we have put together for you. There's a paper copy out in the foyer. You can grab that. There's an online version. encourage you just to read along with us in 1 Peter. And it's not just 1 Peter. If you don't know, over the course of this year, we're going to study 1 and 2 Peter. And it'll also guide you to read through the entire Bible together as a church. So encourage you to do that. Secondly, just want to challenge you to prioritize this, uh, the weekly gathering of God's people. We're going verse by verse through 1 Peter. There's great value in doing that together. I just encourage you to prioritize gathering with God's people here uh, on Sunday morning together. Now, I just remind you, we're reading a letter. It's a divinely inspired letter from the Apostle Peter to a particular group of people that we saw a few weeks ago that he refers to as uh, elect exiles. He says they are elect exiles. And this group of people that he's writing to are those, uh, the idea of elect is they've been called out of the world by God's grace. They've been given this living hope. They've been born again. But they're very much still living in the fallen world. They're still not at home as exiles in this fallen world. And the the message of 1 Peter is how do we walk faithfully in this living hope we have, waiting for this future grace, while at the same time living faithfully today in this fallen world. What does that look like? How do we do that? We've been looking at that over the past few weeks. We're going to pick back up verse 13. I'm going to read a few verses to kind of uh, get the context, catch you up a little bit, and then we're going to focus in on verse 22 this morning. So follow along. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Peter says this, Therefore, now if you, know, if you study your Bible, you know anytime you see the word therefore, mark it, underline it, draw an arrow back. In other words, 12 verses have been stated and said and written by Peter to lead up to verse 13. And all those 12 verses, he's been saying, here's the reality of your living hope. Here's what it means to be born again in Christ, this living hope by the mercy of God. Because of that living hope, these gospel realities, now Peter's going to say, verse 13, therefore, because of what is true in Christ, therefore, Prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We saw this a few weeks ago. Pastor Daniel led us through this, that living faithfully in this fallen world begins with the battle in our minds. We are constantly, by the way, being discipled by someone all the time. The world or the truth of God's word. He says, gird up your minds, prepare your minds for action. As elect exiles, we set our hope on the future grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at his return. And that future hope, by the way, transforms the way we live now. Set your hope. Verse 14, family language. 
relation to our Heavenly Father. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. The passive conformity that happens as we live in this world. Do not be conformed by this world to the passions of your former ignorance, who you used to be before Christ. Do not be conformed to those former passions, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Talked about that last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, go back and listen to that message. Great message last week by Pastor Daniel. God who has called us out, given us this new birth, is holy And thus, at the same time, our essential new nature, our position in Christ is one of holiness. And the life that we pursue is to be one of holiness, our conduct. We pursue this life of Christ-likeness because Christ is in us, the Holy One. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, the way we live our lives today, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This temporary time on this earth before the Lord Jesus returns. We saw this last week. As elect exiles, we conduct ourselves with fear during our time of stay on earth. Now, All that's a little bit of context for what we're getting ready to jump into. We're going to jump down to verse 22, our text this morning. Here's a question for you. Bible calls us here because of the reality of the holy God himself living within us in Christ. We have been declared holy. We are to pursue a life of holiness. That's a life that is consistent with Jesus himself putting off anything that's not of Christ, putting on everything that's of Christ, this pursuit of a holy life. Here's the question for you this morning. Where is this holiness of life to be lived out? What does it look like? See, Peter's going to make a connection here this morning that I don't want you to miss. He says, the God who redeemed you is holy. The God who loves you, lives within you by his spirit is holy. Our lives are to reflect that holiness, we're to pursue holiness. And then he jumps down into verse 22 and he says, look, let me give you the first arena that this holiness is to be lived out. Verse 22. Having purified your souls, that's again holiness language, speaking of our salvation, purification of our souls by obedience to the truth. Peter sees the gospel message not merely something as you, that you accept. The message of the gospel is something we obey. Repent and believe the message of the gospel, transforming our lives. Having, been pure, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now watch this. For a sincere brotherly love. Love of one another. He goes on, verse 22, and says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter says, this pursuit of holiness, this holiness that we're called to, the first arena that we live that out, watch this, is how we love and how we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. Verse 23, since or because... 
you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Incredibly challenging few verses for Peter for us this morning. Here's your big truth, and I'm going to give you some big ideas that flow out of this. This is an incredibly simple Big truth, (laughs) but an incredibly challenging big truth at the same time. Here it is. Elect exiles love one another from the heart. There is a calling on our lives as believers that there is to be a, a holiness of our lives that is demonstrated in every area of life, But in particular, he's talking about here how we relate and love and serve and build up and care for how we treat one another as the body of Christ. When you think of holiness, what what comes to your mind? I I think sometimes when we think of holiness, we think of super Christians off in super holy places doing super holy things. Peter says, no, no, no. This holiness, this Christ-likeness is lived out in the day-to-day messiness of Christian living in and among imperfect, broken people called the church. (laughs) Do you hear that? Let, Let me say it another way. As those who have been purified, born again by the gospel, we live out this holy life in the joys, the heartaches, the victories, the pains, the hurts, the offenses, the burden-bearing, the messiness called the body of Christ. Peter says, love one another fervently from the heart. Now, again, I said it at the beginning when we were praying together. There is to be a holy quality, a God-like nature of our love for one another. One commentator said it this way. Holiness flames in our devotion to God and in the love of the brethren. It's to be a holy quality, a God-like nature of the way we lay down our lives for one another. Personally, I've wrestled with this passage all week. This is one of these passages that is very difficult, not because it is complex. It is difficult because it is painfully clear. There's a call on our lives to supernaturally love one another in a God-like way that the world does not understand. The call on our lives. Love one another fervently from the heart. Verse 22, there's some tough words in verse 22. That's where we're going to camp out most of our time this morning. Peter says, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The word sincere literally means unhypocritical. It, It literally means this. If you do a word study here... It's the word we get play acting from. It it literally means to speak from behind a mask. Now, in 2021, that has a different meaning than in this context, right? It has nothing to do with COVID. But in that day, there was something called play acting. It was called hypocrinomai or hypocrisy. It was speaking from behind a mask. It was play acting. It was show. Peter says, don't love one another. Don't, Don't put on a show. 
She says it's not to be that. It is to be instead a sincere, authentic, genuine, free of false motive love of one another. Then he goes on, he says, from a pure heart. It's not to be mechanical or merely a dutiful obligation, but this genuine joy-filled love of affection in the same way we are loved by our Heavenly Father. And it doesn't take long to get into verse 22 for you and me to realize in my natural state that is simply not the way we love one another. Right? Now, Peter calls us to this here, and when we hear this, let's just be honest and take take a little time out for a second and talk about there are challenges to loving like this. There are challenges to loving one another in a holy, godlike, unhypocritical, sincere, fervent way as the body of Christ that the world is to look look to and say, "I, I don't understand that kind of love. I can't even generate that kind of love. Can we all be real honest? There's, there's challenges in my life and your life to loving like that. Unless you're here and you say, nope, I got it. I love perfectly like that. Anybody? Don't think so. Here's a few challenges to loving like this for you and me. Number one, one of the most obvious challenges to loving like this is, ready? Sin. <laughs> Sin makes us Selfish. Sin makes me self-absorbed. So we walk through the family discipleship plan as a family. This is, one of those, this is one of those lessons in the FDP that comes up every year. And I remember this. It's hard and painful every year. It's this. Sin makes us selfish. Even though we may be born again, the Spirit of God living within us, there is residue within us deep in our heart, the darkness of our own heart. We are selfish people. By the way, The opposite of this kind of love that Peter's talking about is not hate. You know what it is? Selfishness. Self-absorbed. Second challenge to loving like this in the culture we live in is this. Is our culture tragically redefines love. You need to know something. Right now, in one way or another, the world is discipling us to believe and understand love in a certain way that is almost all the time completely opposite to the way the Bible defines and helps us understand God-like love. You and I are being discipled by the world to believe love in a certain way that is most of the time completely opposite from the way the the Bible describes love. The world wants us to see a love of sentiment or a love of merely emotion or merely an erotic love. It's something that happens to me and I don't have control over. You know, I I fell in love. I can't control it. This love here is a godlike love of choice, an act of the will. Which, by the way, this kind of love described by God, it may involve pleasant feelings. It may involve this joy of affection and it is to do that, but it may not. It may not even feel good. It may not even feel pleasant. Thirdly, another challenge to this is among many Christians today, maybe you've had these conversations with others, maybe you think this way at times, among believers today, there is this sense, I think especially coming out of the pandemic we've been in the last year and a half is this, the sense, the false notion that I can faithfully follow Jesus and grow as a believer apart from engagement with a local congregation. 
That's just a common thought among so many people today that, yeah, I can be faithful to the Lord. I can grow in faithfulness, but I don't have to be engaged, dynamically engaged with a local congregation. That's just a false notion according to Scripture. In fact, I was, a few days ago, it was during the week, and I was at the place that all true believers go to worship during the week, uh, Chick-fil-A, and I was there. I was there with Nathan Massey, and we were having kind of our weekly meeting. We get together, and we were praying over our meal. And this fella saw us pray over our meal. It's no big deal. I mean, most of us do that. And he comes up, and he just said, I just want to tell you guys, I was just really excited to see a couple guys here praying over their meal. I said, well, man, it's no big deal. We're just thankful for this food the Lord's given us. And he was saying, yeah, I'm a believer. And he was talking about his walk with the Lord. And I just asked him. Uh, Nathan was there, too. He, I said, hey. What local church are you part of around? Just curious. And he said, well, he said this, and I, I think this is very close to what he said. I, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but it was something to this effect. He said, well, I don't have much to do with the church right now. He said, I'm just kind of on the outs with the local church. In fairness, he cited some hurt he had experienced from the local church. And he was expecting Nathan and I to say something like, well, great, man. Hope it works out for you. But in love, I could not let that go. And, I, and we both kind of came back. We said something to the effect like this, man. I need you to understand the church is filled with broken, messed up people. You're going to get hurt. That's the way it works. But here, here, here's something what we say. It is still the local church, God's perfect design by which his love is on display to the world as we as these imperfect beings learn in the messiness of life to love one another with an imperfect or a perfect God-like love that the world can see. In other words, don't give up on the local church. It's God's design where the people of God come together and experience... This fervent love of one another. And man, it's where we learn to love one another. And the notion that you can be healthy and growing and at a distance from a local congregation is absolutely contrary to the word of God. Peter says fervently love one another from the heart. Peter, what does that look like? Now, this is throughout your Bible. This is throughout the New Testament. I read this this morning. Jesus evidently taught Peter and his disciples this over and over. We read this earlier. I want to look at it. John 13. Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as, Jesus says, I have loved you. The standard by which we are to love one another, that which we are to strive for, is the way Jesus loves us. He says, by this, verse 35, all people will know that you are my disciples if or since you have this love for one another. Evidently, Peter was taught this by Jesus himself. Evidently, Peter had this modeled perfectly by Jesus himself. And Jesus seems to be saying here another incredibly convicting challenge to us this morning. Jesus seems to be saying the primary evidence that we are genuine Jesus followers is our love for each other. In fact, I read this this week. Francis Schaeffer went on and said this about this passage. He says, sincere, godlike love toward one another is to be the mark of every true believer. Jesus here is giving the world 
the permission to judge the genuineness of our Christian faith on the basis of our love for one another. Wow. It's as if Jesus is saying, you want to know if this thing called Christianity is real? Look how my people love one another with a godlike, supernatural, fervent, unhypocritical, sincere love. God help us. God help us. John 17, Jesus says, he's praying to the Father and he says that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm you, that they, us, the believers, the church, may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus takes the next step and he says, the evidence for the reality of the incarnation that I have been sent from the Father, a supporting evidence of that is to be the way the church loves one another. Wow. That the world may know that I have been sent from the Father, Jesus said. Romans 12.10, Paul says, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Same idea Peter's saying, because you've been born again. You, this love is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Wow. Anybody challenged this morning? Anybody feel that tension of what the Bible calls us to in Christ and the reality that there's this gap in my daily practice, in my daily life? I felt that all week, and I hope you sense that this morning. But there's help from the Word of God this morning. So here's the big truth again. Elect exiles, that's us, love one another from the heart. Peter gives three different big ideas. There's a whole lot more. We're only going to have time for three that flow out of this, mostly out of verse 22. I want us to look at this morning, all right? Give you three big ideas. I think he's going to challenge us. He's going to help us as we pursue this holy living and how we love one another. Big idea number one is this. We are called to love one another supernaturally. Supernaturally. Verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And you can circle that word love there, love one another. If you do word studies, which I encourage you to do, get a good tool that you can go back and study some of these original words you, you know and you've heard this before. There's at least four different Greek words in this day for love. The perfect word that's chosen here in the inspiration of the Spirit, Peter chooses the word agape, which is throughout Scripture. It's, it's this godlike love. He says we are to love one another with a godlike love, that its very source is God Himself. A person who is not born again cannot love this way. But those of us who are born again, are capable to love this way because of the Spirit of God living within us. This is not eros love. It's not the love of passion. He's not talking about here even stoige love. Stoige is the familial love that comes naturally. This natural affection that we might have even for a family member. That's kind of a natural type love. Peter says that's not even the kind of love I'm talking about. 
He says it's not this phileo love. That's another word for love. That's the love of friendship that responds to the good, good qualities of another person. Phileo love is responsive. It's like, hey man, you're all right. I like you. You like me. There's this response of friendship. That's not this kind of love. Peter uses this word agape that is simply a supernatural type love finding its source in the very character of God himself. Supernatural. It's not natural. This love is not kindled. <laughs> Listen to this. This type of love is not kindled by the merit or the worth of the object that you are loving. Aren't you glad, by the way? Godlike agape love was not kindled in the heart of the Father because he found something good or worthwhile in you or me. That kind of agape love came from the very character of who God is in himself. That's why 1 John says, God is love. Flows from his very character, his very being. That's agape love. It's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but flows from the very nature of the giver. God is love. This love endures even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unworthy, and watch this, unlovable. <laughs> unlovable. That's why agape love, by the way, in marriage or in any other context, is not a 50-50 proposition, right? Well, I'll give 50 and you give 50, and as long as you're giving 50%, we're all okay. That's not agape love. Agape love says, I am enduring love, committed love, setting unconditional love on you, regardless of the kind of love you show back to me. That is a supernatural love. And can, can we just lean in for a second? The world does not see that kind of love anywhere but among the people of God. Peter's point. As elect exiles in this broken, fallen world, that this is not even your home. As strangers walking through this world, the world is to see something countercultural and different about you. And one of the key things is how you supernaturally love one another. God's people. This is unconditional love. What does this love look like? And again, we're, we're kind of discipled of this kind of love by the world. Okay, help us from the Word of God. What does this kind of love look like? You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read for you from 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says this. I think Lane even read this earlier, but it says this. What does this type of God-like love look, at, look like? Just listen. It says, but this... Or by this, the love of God was manifested to us. It was put on display. We could see it. It was demonstrated. Okay, what does it look like? That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You can take those two verses, pray through those two verses, meditate on those two verses, and get a really good handle of what God-like love is to look like. Let me help you. It says, verse 9, God has sent. This type of God-like love takes the initiative. 
it acts. It moves into the lives of others, even if they're unresponsive. He, he sent his only son. This type of God-like love sacrifices. God the Father sent that which was most precious to him, God the Son, into our fallen, broken world. This kind of love sacrifices what is most valuable. Gives up what is of value, our time, our treasure, our status, our preferences for the sake of others. Into the world, it says, this God-like love seeks the unlovely. Sent his son into the world, not when the world began to believe, but when the world, according to Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us. What's it say? While we were yet sinners. So this kind of love initiates. It sacrifices, it seeks the unlovely, so that we might live, 1 John 4 says. God-like love seeks the good of others. God-like love seeks the good of others, even at our own cost. Not that we love God, but that He loved us, it says. God-like love lavishly initiates, not proportionally responds. Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God-like love operates in the realm of truth. Not mere sentimentality. The love of God was demonstrated and exposed our sin and our brokenness. And didn't just leave us exposed in our sin, but then sent Christ to cover our sin. Kind of love deals in truth, what is right, what is just for one another. We are to build one another up in that way. One commentator took these verses and he said, The incarnation of Christ is therefore a concrete historical revelation of God's love. For God-like love is self-sacrificing. It is seeking of another's positive good, even at my own expense. There is, a, there is no greater self-giving demonstration of love in all of history than the Son of God being sent from the Father and walking among us and dying for our sins. So we are able to love like this because we have been born again, Peter says, and we have the very nature of God within us. We continue to be able to love like this as we saturate our minds with the message of God's love that daily energizes and enables us to love even people who are difficult to love. And that's the church. See, what I want you to hear from this is this tension. If you read Peter and you think, well, you know what? I'm going to try harder and do better and give it my all. This kind of fervent love does not come from merely you. It comes from Christ in you. This is the kind of love that flows out of a genuine born-again believer. It is God's love through us into the lives of others, characterized by self-sacrifice for the good of others, initiating at our own loss for their good to the glory of God. And the world sees nothing like it except in the church, the people of God. John MacArthur said, not only has God given us a new capacity to love supernaturally, he's also given us a new family with which to demonstrate this love. <laughs> you know how many of the verses of the Bible talk about the one another's and they talk about being patient and kind and tolerant and putting up with and bearing with? Why? Because he has called us, this is incredible, to love supernaturally amongst a really messed up and broken people called the redeemed people of God. 
And it's there that we learn to love. It's there we learn to trust and depend upon the love of the Father that has been poured into our lives. So number one, we're called to love one another supernaturally. Number two, a little bit quicker is this. We're called to love one another earnestly. Or maybe your translation says fervently. The ESV says earnestly, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. He says, love one another. That's supernatural. Here's how you do it. Earnestly or fervently. Now, if you do a word study or you write in your Bible, I strongly encourage you to circle that word earnestly. Here's the idea of this word. This is a Hugely helpful for me and I think for you this morning. The word earnestly literally means fervently. It's the word tenos. We get the word tendon from it. The idea of that which stretches. We get the word tenacity from it. One who is able to stretch themselves further. Here's what Peter is saying by the choice of this words. It is a call to love one another. Which often means we stretch beyond our comfortable limits for the sake of others. Now is that challenging? We are to love one another in a way that calls us to stretch beyond our comfortable limits. This word earnestly, fervently, it's the same word in Luke 22 when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. says he was praying to the Father prior to the cross. says he was praying fervently and his sweat became like great drops of blood. Jesus was being stretched, humanly speaking, beyond that which was comfortable and natural for him fervently in the church toward one another we are regularly called to love beyond what is comfortable what comes natural watch this what might even seem reasonable to you and me and the world is to look on that and go man how they love one another stretch that's the idea we're to stretch Beyond our comfort zone, beyond that which comes easy or natural for us. We will grow in our love for one another only so much as we are willing to stretch beyond our own reasonable level of comfort. Give you some quick examples quickly. The one another's of the New Testament. I'll just read you a few. Ephesians 4 says this Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's a question for you When have you extended beyond your comfortable limits to show lavish kindness or undeserved forgiveness to another brother or sister in Christ? When has it stretched you? Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. When have you been stretched beyond your comfortable limits, beyond our comfort zone, for the benefit of another to serve that person, to meet that pressing need? Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When have you and I extended beyond our comfortable limits to meet someone at their point of need? Physical, emotional, financial, whatever it may be, bearing one another's burdens. 
Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is really practical. When is the last time we've extended beyond our comfortable limits just to be with the people of God to spur up one another beyond our comfort level, beyond what might come natural, calling one another to love and good deeds? Ephesians 4, rather, speaking the, love, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. We are to build one another up in love. A dimension of discipleship is that we are to build one another up toward Christ's likeness. I depend on you to do that in my life, and I'm called to do that in your life. When was the last time you extended beyond your comfortable limits to speak truth, expose sin, walk alongside another brother for the sake of building them up unto Christ's likeness? Sometimes you've got to stretch beyond what's comfortable. Sometimes I've got to stretch beyond what's comfortable fervently. Love one another. First John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. When was the last time you and I extended beyond our comfortable limits to show unconditional love to that person in your life who is really, really hard to love? God-like love, supernatural love. doesn't come from me. It comes from Christ in me. Peter says we are called to love one another supernaturally. Peter says we are called to love one another earnestly, fervently, stretching beyond what is comfortable. Thirdly and finally is this. We are called to love one another steadfastly. Now, that may not be a word you use a lot, so I just said it because it kind of goes with the rhythm of the other big ideas, but let me just say it this way. This kind of love is to be an enduring love. Let me say it another way. The love that we are to demonstrate toward one another is to be an enduring type love. It is not to go with the ebb and flows of the seasons and it goes up and down with the emotions. We are called to love with an enduring, a steadfast love. Verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Speaking of your natural birth, that's what I, that's an allusion to, but of imperishable, speaking of your new birth, through the living and abiding Word of God, the Word of God that is alive, the Word of God that is enduring, is enabling us to love like this. For, verse 24, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, flower fades. Why are you saying that here, Peter? What does that mean? That which is natural is temporary. It fades. It withers away. The love that I can generate naturally will fade. It will dwindle. That's the love of the world. But Peter is saying, you, child of God, you born-again believer, because you have been Born again here, not of perishable seed, not just your natural birth, but your 
rebirth. You're born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Because of the enduring nature of the living and abiding word of God. The spirit of God within you. The truth of God's word. Watch this. Your born again nature, God-like nature, will endure. Okay, help me. What does that mean? And by extension, Peter is saying that here, that means you also have the capacity to demonstrate an enduring love that does not fade and does not depend on circumstances and does not walk away when it gets hard and does not bail out when things are not easy. It's the kind of love that is steadfast and sure. It is a godlike love. That's the kind of love we are capable of in Christ. That's the kind of love we are called to for His glory and the good of others. Because our God-like new nature in Christ endures, likewise our capacity to demonstrate God-like love will endure as as well. Christians are not of those who bail out. Believers are not of those who face and know it's hard and it's a difficult situation. And in our relationships and in our homes and in our marriages, we don't bail out. Because there is an enduring type of love that has been set on us. The very character and person of God in us endures and therefore we are able to demonstrate a God-like love to the world. How is this? Because of our new birth? And how do we practically, consistently continue to do this? Watch. By daily immersing yourself in the message of God's love for you, you are being discipled and trained through the word of God and the admonishment of one another and the body of Christ that is building you up so that we can demonstrate that kind of love to one another. See? It's a God-like love. It's a supernatural love. Jesus said, this is the kind of love you're called to. This is the kind of love he demonstrates to us. And I'll read this final verse and we'll be done. We'll pray. John 13, when he gathered with his disciples there in that upper room, he was getting ready to wash their feet and he was getting ready to go to the cross and he was going to die and rise from the dead. And the Bible says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, he was about to depart from the world to the Father. And it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, I love this, he, Jesus, loved them to the end. He loved them to the end, an enduring, unwavering love set on us. And we are to demonstrate that same kind of enduring love for one another. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this incredible word from 1 Peter. God, I pray that you would shape our hearts and our lives and our conduct this morning. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice afresh in the love that's been given to us, an unconditional, undeserved, perfect love from the Father. And Lord, enable us to love one another this way. For your glory, 
that the world may know that we are your disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand?